I guess quite a few of you have been following the invasion of Ukraine in some way or other. Um, and this invasion of Ukraine has been something that's caught the attention of a lot of people. I was particularly struck at the beginning with kilometres and kilometres and kilometres of tanks and armoured vehicles rolling into their nation. However, there has been a very fierce resistance, as you know, driving them back. The Ukrainians have been supplied by many weapons from NATO, and one in particular has caught my attention. It's called the Javelin Medium-Range Anti-Tank Missile. The Javelin is an anti-tank missile system that locks onto the target's thermal picture. The soldier peers through a command launch unit and selects different targets and attack modes. It's highly technical. When it's fired, what happens is the missile comes out of the bazooka, you could call it, quite slowly, and that gives the, a chance for the soldiers to run away, and then the missile takes off at a high-powered speed and goes directly to the item that it's focused on and destroys it. It gives the people who fire it time to get away so that the enemy can't see where it's fired from and blow them up. It's called a fire-and-forget system. It's the most sophisticated, successful, and powerful anti-tank weapon in modern warfare today. And it has accounted for the destruction of hundreds, if not thousands, of Russian vehicles and particularly tanks. Right. So today, we're talking about the fifth stanza in the Lord's Prayer, Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. This is a prayer that Jesus gave his followers to include in the Lord's Prayer. A prayer that Jesus himself only knew too well. So you might say to me, well, Lord, what's a javelin anti-tank missile got to do with lead us not to temptation and deliver us from the evil one? Well, there are two reasons. The first reason is this. The javelin is an instrument of war. When we sign on for the Christian life, we sign on with our master Jesus into a battle. We do. A battle against a very strong foe, the evil one, the devil, Satan. John says this, the reason why the Son of God came was to destroy the works of the devil. And Paul reminds us, Christians, writing to the Christians in Ephesus, he says, our fight is not against flesh and blood, but against the powers and the principalities in the heavenly realm. So there's a fight. We are called in to fight. The second reason is the javelin is a new war machine that's designed to give victory over the enemy. And in our struggle against the foe, Jesus is our model and he shows us 
the types of weapons we are to use to fight the enemy. He went before us to show us two things, that firstly, there is an enemy, and secondly, we are to overcome the enemy. That's what he commissioned us to do. When Jesus entered his ministry, the very first thing we read was, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And at the end of the um, wilderness experience, it says this, Now, when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. The devil was going to come back to Jesus. So, Jesus is our model, and he shows us the way to overcome temptation. So, we're looking at this statement, this prayer, lead us not into temptation and deliver us from the evil one. So the first question you may well be asking, and I certainly ask this question, is does God, our loving Heavenly Father, lead us into temptation? Because we pray, lead us not into temptation. And the answer is no, he does not. James says this, and Amelie read it to us. Let no one say when he's tempted, I'm tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. So what does this mean? William Barclay also points out that we actually tend to take a very negative view of temptation. That is, that temptation is designed to make us fail or fall. Now, God would never do that, would he? A loving Heavenly Father would never, ever trip up their son or daughter to make them fall. A loving father would never do that for his children. The word tempted here, it's important to understand what the word means. The word means, it's the word perizine. Perizine, it's a Greek word, and it conveys the idea of testing something to see if it will work. Like a javelin. So before it can be released for use, it needs to be tested. So in this context, when we say lead us not to temptation, we're talking about the word testing, and it means actually to test a person's strength and loyalty and ability for service. Isn't it interesting that before Jesus did any kingdom ministry, before he healed the sick, before he preached, He was led into the wilderness to be tested. Is this going to work? You see, Jesus was not superhuman. He was not like a superman or Batman or anything like that. He didn't have, he wasn't kind of extraordinary above us. He had flesh and blood just like you and me. The only difference is he never sinned. This is what it says in Hebrews. Let us firmly hold to our faith, for we have no superhuman high priest, that's Jesus, to whom our weaknesses are unintelligible. He himself has shared fully in all our experience of temptation, except that he never sinned. So temptation here carries the idea of testing something to make us good. 
We are meant to emerge from testing stronger and better people. Just as metal must be tested for stresses and strains if it's going to be used in some great engineering project, so the Christian has to be tested before God can use him or her in some special way. Barclay points out again, temptation must not be seen as a penalty for being human, but the glory of being human. Its purpose is to make us better people, stronger, more righteous, more holy, more pure, the way that Jesus was. So we don't say to the Lord, well, Lord, I think I'm up for it. You can send the temptation my way. I think I'm ready. We never ask for that. For the evil one is not one to be tampered with. The Bible is never in any doubt that the evil one is a great power. The devil is an active personal force. It's not a thing or an it. It's a personal force that is in direct opposition to God. He's cunning and he's devious. He's very strong. He's a destroyer. He majors in accusation and temptation. He torments people. He can inflict disease and sickness on people. And all the way through Jesus' life, we see the devil trying to destroy him at his birth. He was the one that stirred up Herod to try and kill, well, to kill all those babies in, in Bethlehem. That's where he was born, wasn't it? Sorry, I had a moment there. You know, that was just pure evil. Um, when Jesus entered his ministry, first time in the wilderness, he's tempted in every way by the devil. We hear three temptations, but I'm sure there were more than that. Do you know that he even tempted Jesus in his own family? His brothers and sisters were really jealous of him. And they didn't want to go down to Jerusalem with him. They just wanted to go on their own. So he sowed discord in Jesus' own family. And there were many times in Jesus' ministry where he encountered the devil in people's lives and cast them out. And also, the enemy got into Jesus' camp. He caused Judas to betray Jesus. He called Peter to deny him. And they all ran away. What would Peter say before the crucifixion? I'm ready to be crucified with you, Jesus. Bring it on. And then he runs away, denies Jesus. The other thing I want to say about Satan is Satan is a perpetrator of fear. If, you have, if we have fears in our lives, fear is the opposite of faith. And we need to get a hold of this and to understand where fear comes from. And I'd encourage anyone here today who's got fears in their life to come forward and have prayer at the end of the service. So in our prayers, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. We're asking the Lord to watch over us when the testing times come and to give us the strength to withstand and grow through it. Now, this is a really important scripture coming up here. Paul makes it clear that we would never allow to be tested beyond our ability to remain firm. 
This is what he says. No temptation has overcome you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted or tested beyond what you can bear. When you are tested or tempted, he will provide a way out so that you can endure it. Very important scripture to bear in mind with testing and tempting. Now, the various attacks that Jesus experienced from the devil are the types of attacks that we can experience too. And these are summarized, if you like, in a kind of a triple alliance of evil, the world, the flesh, and the devil. Let's just look briefly at the world. Sometimes we can experience um, just tempting, testing through the world. Firstly, by bad company. We need to be careful about the company we keep. J.C. Ryle, a famous English bishop, said this, nothing perhaps affects man's character more than the company he keeps. And Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 15.33, do not be deceived, bad company ruins good morals. So many of us today, even in isolation where we're not mixing with people, the company we keep can be the television, what we watch on TV, what books we read, what magazines we look at. That is the company that we keep. And these are the things that can pull our minds and our hearts away from following Jesus. It can stir up evil desires in us. We need to be aware of that. And secondly, sometimes, actually, the temptation can come from the very ones that love us the most. A friend or a family member could counsel us not to take a certain action or decision because they fear we might get hurt. And we know that we should take that course of action. I don't know if you remember Peter, who out of his love for Jesus... Um, when Jesus said, I'm going to go to Jerusalem to suffer, um, Peter said, no, 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 Jesus, you're not going to go to Jerusalem to suffer. What did Jesus say? Get behind me, Satan. Satan was working through Peter to try and get Jesus uh, off track. And Jesus said to his own disciples, he said, a man's enemies will even be in his own household. So we have to be alert. You know, Francis of Assisi, who we revere as a great Christian from the past, whose legacy had lived on for a thousand years, he grew up and his father wanted him to be a businessman. But Francis of Assisi came to Christ and he didn't want to go into the business world and his father disowned him. And he left the family and became a follower of Jesus and his father didn't want to know any more about it. Also, we can experience um, testing from within us. We call it the flesh. If there was nothing in us, in our flesh, which temptation would appeal to, we would never ever succumb, would we? So, in each of us, there are weak spots. It's called the Achilles heel, the spiritual Achilles heel, if you like. It may be some passion or instinct so strong that we just succumb to it. It could be a deep-seated need to be in control. We call them control freaks, which results in domination and bossiness. It could be, it could be something that comes through the eye gate, something we see, which stirs up in us 
um, some covetousness, covetousness or jealousy or sexual lust. It could be just human pride, which at its core is a desire to be in charge of our own lives, which leads to arrogance and self-promotion and greed. It's a bit like the protester I've been watching in America, the protests about abortion, and the person who stands with a placard and said, it's my body, I can do with it what I like. Now that might be all very well, But actually, Jesus didn't go into the Garden of Gethsemane and say, it's my body, I'm not going to be crucified. I'm going to do God's will. And you know, as Christians, I want us to remind us today that your body does not belong to you and mine doesn't belong to me either. It belongs to the Lord. Our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so we must honour God with our bodies. And the biggest thing about that is that what we do with our bodies is not just for the benefit of ourselves, but it's for the benefit of other people. Secondly, our strong points can also become an opportunity for attack. So I've looked at our weak points, now our strong points. Now, the past and present is full of stories where overconfidence in one's ability has become the downfall of a person. An example of this could be a person who has a very strong spiritual gift, like teaching or prophecy or acts of service or healing, and they overly focus on that gift. And that can lead to spiritual pride, and it can lead to the fact that your gift is not being used for the body, but for yourself. And we have to watch that. I heard about a minister who went to a meeting in a city and he drove round the block ten times and he couldn't find a parking place. So he parked in a place which said no parking. And he wrote a little note on the window and he said, I've got a very important meeting. I'll circle the block ten times. If, you don't, if I don't park here, I'll miss my appointment. And then in big letters, forgive me my trespasses. Well, he came back after the meeting and he found a note on the window of his car which said, I've circled the block here for 10 years and if I don't give you a ticket, I'll lose my job. Lead us not into temptation. <laughs> so what I'm saying here is sometimes our, who we are can become a, a purpose for sinning. You know, the church is sadly full of people who've fallen into temptation due to a wrong exercise of their giftedness. And this has been very apparent, hasn't it, in the last little while. Um, Professor Howard Hendricks, who was at Dallas Theological Seminary, conducted a survey of 246 men who fell out of ministry in a two-year period. That 246 ministers fell from grace. And they allowed him to interview them. And after interviewing each of them, he found four common traits. The first one was no accountability. They had no accountability to anyone. The second one was most had given up their daily habit of prayer and Bible reading and worship, personal worship. The third one was that many of those men had had counselling situations with other women and no one else in the room, and they'd fallen into sin with a woman. And the last one, the most 
telling one of all, was that each and every one of them said this, I'm convinced that this would never happen to me. So we are to watch that our strong points don't become our Achilles heel. And I want to conclude today by just touching on three weapons, three javelins, if you like, missiles that the Lord has given us. So from now on you can talk about the javelin, not the sword of the spirit if you like, but that's just a sort of contemporary image if you like, the sword of the spirit. Um, First of all, we must remember that God doesn't tempt us. This is a concluding thing. God, God never tempts us. He allows us to go through testing times in order to grow strong. Secondly, we must never forget that Satan has been defeated. This is so important. But he's not yet destroyed. The facts of the cross and the resurrection for us is the great bulwark on which we can fight against the devil. Paul reminds us that God has disarmed those supernatural forces of evil operating against us, and he's made a public spectacle of them, having triumphed over them at the cross. You see, the cross was obedience right to the end. That's the triumph. And I've often found that in, in ministry to people, um, particularly in the poor, to remind Satan of the cross, you're defeated, leave. You've got no right here. The other thing, of course, is the resurrection. With the resurrection, death is defeated. And the final enemy that Satan wants us to fall to is death, because sin leads to death. But death has been defeated. Hallelujah, I hear someone shout. Well, say quietly. But you can shout it if you want. Yeah, that's right. That's it. Hallelujah. Tom Wright says this. I love this quote of Tom Wright. He says, To pray, deliver us from evil, is to inhale the victory of the cross and the empty grave and thereby hold the line for another moment, another hour, another day against the forces of destruction within the world and ourselves to breathe in the cross and the resurrection, the victory. And thirdly, Jesus is our model. You know, Paul said this, for though we live in the world, we do not wage the war as the world does with javelins and tanks and things like that, okay? The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. And those weapons are, first of all, prayer. We are to pray. That's why Jesus gave us the prayer. Lead us not into temptation and deliver us from the evil one. Jesus said... Anyone who wants to follow me has to pick up his cross and follow me. There's a fight. There's a challenge. Secondly, we need the truth found in God's word. Jesus repudiated the devil with words of scripture, direct quotes from the scriptures. How's your learning of scripture? When you have your quiet time, if a scripture jumps out at you, do you write it down, put it above your table and start to learn it? Because if that's jumped out at you, the purpose is God is giving you a tool to fight the enemy. He's giving you a tool. He's giving you a javelin. 
Thirdly, oh, my phone's off, but um, we had a young boy in our youth group in Wanganui who came to Christ. I remember the moment he came to Christ and he started coming to the youth group. And he eventually went on to become one of the leaders of the Arise churches around New Zealand. And he's completely decimated by what's happened to the leadership of his church. And he sent my son a text the other day, and basically what he said was this. He said, I'm so grateful that in the youth group many years ago, we learned how to pray, we learned how to read the Bible, and we learned how to grow in our faith. I'm forever grateful for that. And lastly, we need the incomparable power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who created. Notice that Jesus was led into the wilderness after being filled with the Spirit. It was in the power of the Spirit that Christ overcame the devil. It was in the power of the Spirit that Jesus loved those who hated him. It was in the power of the Spirit that he cast out demons from people. This cannot be stressed enough. And we need to be continually asking God to fill us with the Spirit. And that's why I want to recommend to you this prayer season. Because it's all focused on come Holy Spirit. You know, a good commander would never send his troops into the battle unless he equipped them well. And Zelensky would never send his troops into battle unless they are equipped well. And our master Jesus would never call us to faith unless he would equip us. But we have to take responsibility for our journey and we need to learn how to use the tools that God gives us. Amen.